chapter 6 as we continue the end of the book. We're going to be focusing on verses 10 through 13 today. Now, Paul begins verse 10 with the word finally. It's like a good movie that has a great ending. We know good movies because when, they, when you're flipping through the channel and you happen to see a good movie, you, you have to just, doesn't matter where it is, you're going to finish the movie because you just love the ending. And usually a movie that has a great ending has a very good setup. And that's exactly what the book of Ephesians is. Paul has been setting up for this moment. His whole letter, he's been telling us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's told us, he's exhorted us to imitate Christ. He's told us how to live for Christ. And now in chapter 6, he's saying, now I'm saying all that for what I'm about to say here. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Thank you for everything that we've learned through this book. And thank you for the revelation that you are gonna speak this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is the first command that Paul gives to the Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord. Now, as I began to meditate on what it means to be strong in the Lord, I thought, I've always heard this. It's always be, it's always been preached and been said to be strong in the Lord. But what does it mean? How can I apply that to my life? You know, it, it's almost like just Christian language. And it, be, it can become such a way where it's just, you know, be strong in the Lord. But think about it. What, what does that mean to be strong in the Lord? Do we know how to do that? And so I started reverse engineering what it means to be strong in the Lord by first applying and understanding what it means to be strong in myself. 
Now, if I were to go into a gym, a fitness club, and if I were to go to the dumbbell section, I would see all the dumbbells. I would be able to, with my eyes, see what is the weight I can carry. My eyes would perceive that dumbbell that is 300 pounds, I can carry that. No. <laughs> no, not exactly. But see, in my strength, I know what I'm able to withstand. My strength has limitations. Your strength has limitations. If I were to be strong in myself, there is a limit. There's a threshold. After that, I am no longer able to withstand. To be strong in the Lord means that you tap into a strength that is infinite. It means that you are no longer looking with your eyes, but you are looking through the spiritual, where God has limitless power, and you walk in the strength of the Lord. No matter the amount of strength that someone has, there is a limit to the strength. We know this because we'll say things like, I can't see how God is going to come through. I don't feel like I have what it takes. I'll try, but I don't know if I can. When we are walking in our own strength, it always begins with I. But when we walk in God's strength, it begins with he. He will do it. He will fight on my behalf. He will allow me to walk through this situation. If he brought me to this place, it's because he is going to see me through. Where does God's strength come from? Think about that. I mean, okay, we understand how we can apply God's strength, but where does it come from? God's strength comes from three places. From the glory that we give to God. From the faith that we place in his promises. From the anointing that he has given to us for his purposes. Drawing strength from praise. Romans 4.20 tells us that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. At the end of the week, we can say, thank you, Lord. I know that you brought me through, giving glory to God. I passed an exam. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me the knowledge and the ability. I'm able to spend some money on the family Thank you, Lord, for giving me the finances to bless my children. When we acknowledge God in our day-to-day, -day, 
we are allowing his strength to flow through us. When we focus on ourselves, I'm doing this all by myself. I did it all on my own. I accomplished great things. When we begin to focus and internalize that everything that we have is because of what we did, we become limited. But when we put God into the equation, Lord, it's your goodness, it's your faithfulness that I am here today, we open a pathway for God's strength to flow through us. Drawing our strength from faith. Romans 4.21, it goes on and says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do that which he promised. We grow strong in God's strength because the faith in his word is greater than our opinion. When God's word is greater than our opinion, we allow his strength to manifest in our lives. Lastly, we draw strength from the anointing. God has anointed you to be you and to operate in your calling. Before King David became king, he was anointed for his calling. You are going to be your best when you live in the anointing that God has placed for your life. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, talking about King David. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. When you begin to take hold and walk in the calling and the anointing that God has placed in your life, you will have the strength to do that of which God is calling you to do. Many times we carry unnecessary burdens. We try to take on things that we were not called to do. And we struggle and, and we, we have a difficult time. It's time that we begin to sync up with the anointing that God has for our lives. God's ways are unsearchable, the Bible says. You can't, you can't figure him out. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. There's nothing impossible for God. God's strength has no limits. Let us learn to depend on the God who does not have impossible in his vocabulary, and draw from that strength. Verse 11, going back to our text, Ephesians 6, verse 11, says that in this strength we are to put on the whole armor of God. God gives us the armor. We need to put it on. You see how that works? God will give you the victory if you choose to fight the battle. We are to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I want to focus our attention to those two phrases. Standing against and schemes. 
To stand against is more than just to resist. Where resist is to endure, standing against is to oppose someone or something. A good example would be a political party. There's a big difference of opinion. But it's more than just having a difference of of opinion. It's the competition. It's the opposition. It's the battle for ground. We are to stand against the schemes of the devil. The Bible says in the book of James that we should resist the devil and he will flee. That is talking about temptation. Stand against the schemes of the devil. That's an attack. There's a big difference between being tempted and being under attack. Where temptation is meant to bring an external outcome, an attack or a scheme is a large-scale, systematic plan or an arrangement for attaining some object or putting a particular idea into effect. The best example is found in Matthew 4, where the tempter, Satan, came to Jesus while he was in the wilderness. And if you take note There was a scheme before there was a temptation. The devil said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. The scheme was to challenge the authority of Jesus. The temptation was to prove his authority. So often we fall prey to the schemes by allowing the enemy to challenge our belief. Why try if you're just going to fall again is a scheme. God will forgive you. God will forgive you is a scheme. You're a failure as a, and fill in the blank. You're damaged goods. You don't deserve to be loved. You'll never make it. It's so important to identify the scheme and recognize it. This can only be done by putting on the whole armor of God. The purpose of the scheme is to make you believe a lie so that you give in to the temptation. Trying to resist the temptation can be an uphill battle if you're giving in to the scheme. If we want to see a a breakthrough in, in the temptation, we, we must look at the scheme. Let us move forward. In verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a lot happening in the heavenly places. We should be paying more attention to it as Christians. It isn't the first time that Paul brings up the phrase heavenly places in Ephesians. 
There's a lot of activity taking place in the spiritual realm. As Christians, we must understand the authority given to us for obtaining the victory in the here and now. Now, as we've gone through Ephesians, I'm going to point out three locations where we see the word heavenly places. In Ephesians 1.3, it says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1.20 says, Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, having authority and dominion in the heavenly places. Ephesians 3.10 says, through the church, God's wisdom will be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. If our blessings, if God's authority and God's wisdom are all happening in the heavenly places, shouldn't we pay more attention to it? Now, if this isn't hard to understand. Matter of fact, in the book of Job, in the first chapter, it says that, that the, the angels came before God, and who was there? Satan was there too. See, in the heavenly places, many times, now I don't want to get into a theory. I'll say that for another day. Well, maybe I'll just tap into it just a little bit. We can see heavenly places as somewhere above, you know, above the sky, above the universe, in some unknown region. I would dare to challenge you that the heavenly places is right before our eyes. We just can't see it. Now, let's, let's move forward. I, I want to draw your attention to a story in, in the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. But it says in Exodus 17, 9 through 13, Moses said to Joshua, he said, choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Now, just to pause for a second, every time you see the word Amalek in the Old Testament, it's a representation of the flesh. It says, choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I, Moses, will stand on top of the hill with, my, with the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10 says, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So you can see here the, the layout of the land. You had the battlefield, and then you had a hill where Moses was. In verse 11, it says that whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. 
I want to make a distinction there based on the heavenly places. It's a depiction of the heavenly places. The victory in the battlefield was a direct result of what was happening on the hill. In that same thought, if we want to see a victory in the battlefield of our homes, if we want to see a victory in the battlefield of our lives, in our marriage, with our children, in our city, there has to be a battle that takes place in the heavenly places. What are the rules for engagement for battling with the rulers and authorities? In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 6, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What are the rules of engagement for spiritual warfare? For taking that what is is yours. The first, as we see here, is knowing God's word. It says to destroy the arguments that are raised against the knowledge of God. How are you ever going to know if the arguments are being raised against the knowledge of God if you don't know the knowledge of God? We must know his word. We must read his word and know his word so that when those thoughts in our lives come and try to bring condemnation, try to put us down, try to put doubt and fear, we can declare God's word and defend God's word. It says here that Christ is ready to punish the disobedient those things that come into our lives that try to destroy us, that Christ will destroy when your obedience is complete. That means as you live for him, he will defend you. The last thing is praying his word, taking every thought captive What does that mean? That means that when something comes into your life and it's trying to oppress you, you bring it before the Lord in prayer using his word. The rules of engagement for battling for that which is yours in the heavenly places is to know his word, live his word, and pray his word. Doesn't get more complicated than that. Many times people you know, we'll dive into these thoughts and get really mystical about spiritual warfare. But let me tell you something. If, Jesus, if the Bible says that Jesus has disarmed the rulers and principalities, if Jesus has all authority in heaven, if everything is under his feet, it's not a matter of trying to win a battle that Jesus hasn't won. Spiritual warfare is being aligned with God. It's through prayer and through the word, knowing what the word says and saying, that is not true. God said this. That is not correct. I want to close this morning with this thought in the book of Job. Now, 
Job was a man who was attacked. And in his attack, he had lost everything. And in his dispute, he told God, God, I have done everything right. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve to lose my whole family and to lose my health. And in the, in the book of Job, it says that God responded to Job after a lengthy period of time. Maybe it wasn't so lengthy, but chapter 38 or so. God began to tell Job, listen, Job, you see all the birds? I provide for them. Do you know where the heavens came from? Do you know who created time? Do you know where the lion get their food? Do you know all these things? And what I begin to understand is that God was basically telling Job, I'm in control. You may think I'm not in control because of your present situation, but I am in control. In Job 42 verse 2, it says that Job declared to the Lord after God set him straight. Job said, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be prevented. Nothing can come between God's purposes. And God responded to, to Job. And God told Job, you know what? Your friends that were around you, they were misrepresenting me. They were saying things about me that weren't true. They were painting me in a bad light. And you know what? I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive your friends, Job. I'm going to do that. That is my purpose. But the only way that I'm going to do it is if they come to you, Job. And they bring a sacrifice to you. And Job, if you pray for them, I will forgive them. What is God going to do through your prayers? Who is God going to forgive through your prayer? See, spiritual warfare this morning is when you align yourself with the word of God. And when you align yourself with the word of God and you begin to have the mind of God and in prayer, you begin to speak what God wants you to do. See, prayer is not bringing an unknown circumstance to God this morning. It's not coming to God and say, Lord, I want to make you aware of a situation. That is not prayer. Prayer is when God wants to do something through you. And so through prayer, you say, Lord, this is what I think you want to do. And he says, yes, you finally are on track. That's what I want to do. Let's do it. But it's only going to happen when we come before the Lord in prayer. What does God want to do through us? I think, I know that we need to be a church of prayer. Not a church of empty prayer. Not a church who, who's trying to figure out what do you want to do. No, a church that intentionally comes before the Lord and say, Lord, you've given us this city. You've given us the gift of salvation. Who does God want to touch through your life? Heavenly places. A lot happens in the heavenly places. We need to be spiritually minded.
focus. Put our attention towards what happens in the heavenly places. Let us bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, I